it's something that changes everything for the better. It means that everything is, is going to get better. Um, the scholar N.T. Wright, he describes good news as uh, the news that something has happened as a result of which the world is a different place. Uh, I think that's a really good definition. Um, something has happened as a result of which the world is a different place. And you can imagine how that was true, that, that tablet. Uh, Caesar, Augustus had won the war, everything has changed, the war is over. Uh, there will be peace in our time. So our talk this morning is going to think a bit about how this good news is presented in Mark's Gospel um, as part of a story that's always pointing back uh, to Jesus. Um, I'm going to hand over to Becky to take a So I thought it would be good for us to have a little bit of a think back to what's already happened up to this point. And what's the big picture of this story of Mark's Gospel? So the past couple of weeks we've been journeying through Mark and there's this key message that he's trying to communicate in his Gospel and that there is this emphasis on Jesus establishing the Kingdom of Heaven. And if you remember back to what Becca spoke about a couple of weeks ago, she talked about the Kingdom of Heaven not being a place but instead a reality. It's this sense of the rule of heaven coming to earth, God invading earth. So there's something important to hold in mind as we sort of travel through, and that is that Mark's account of Jesus' life and works, it's, it's presented like a story. It's, it's this narrative, and he, and he does that intentionally in this way to make a specific point. So there's, there's certain things that he emphasises that has the purpose of revealing something about Jesus. And one of the, key, the clear themes in Mark's Gospel is this, that God is establishing God's rulership over the creation that God created. I'm going to say that again because it's a lot of words. God is establishing God's rulership over the creation that God created. And what that means is that he's depicting this story of the rule of God encompassing the whole of creation. And right at the centre of it is Jesus in this, in this battle, this conflict, if you like, that is actually about God and Satan. It's about light and dark. It's about the rule of God confronting darkness. And we see that sort of played out in Jesus with, with natural forces, with the authorities which is something that we're going to sort of touch on a bit more this morning. But I just want us to think back to what we've already heard, this, this big picture, this big story. And if you remember right at the beginning of Mark, where the scene is set, we have Jesus' baptism, where the heavens open, and there's this sense of arrival. It's like exciting. What's happening? There's something going on. Um, the rule of God has come, and there's, there's a sense of anticipation. And straight after that, Jesus is sent out into the desert, um, and he's tempted. And it actually says that the Spirit sends Jesus to the desert. That, that was something intentional, that he faced the darkness head on. And he returned and he begins ministering to people. Again, we heard about last week, the, the healings, the miracles that, that Jesus did. Not just healing, but encountering people this sense of Jesus ushering in a new way. So I want us to hold in mind that, that big picture, what's already happened so far, 
and we're going to take a little bit of a closer look at the end of the story here. Yeah, so like what uh, Rich said, uh, we're going to skip uh, to the end of the Gospel of Mark this morning uh, and look at the first 20 verses uh, of uh, chapter 15. Um, so yeah, to, to catch you up on the, the story in between, uh, Jesus has been going around the countryside, he's been preaching, he's been teaching, he's been inviting others to join him in his, his journey. Um, which is what Rich and Sam were talking about a couple of weeks ago. Um, Jesus has been healing the sick. He's been bringing life to outcasts, the sort of people on the edges of society, drawing them in, um, just like what Tim was talking about last week. Um, and ultimately, after doing all this travelling around the countryside, he's gone on a journey, travelled to Jerusalem, the religious capital in the region. And he's gone there with a specific intention in mind. Um, he wants to confront the religious leaders of the day, uh, particularly around their, their hypocrisy and some of the ways that they've gotten into. Um, so he spends, has a last supper with his disciples um, that some of you might know about. Um, but he's been betrayed by one of them um, and handed over to the leaders who see Jesus as a threat to their authority. Um, and that's where we sort of pick up here um, with, with the leaders passing him on to Pilate. Um, so you'll see this morning uh, that everyone should have the second part of the reading on their seat or nearby them. Hopefully there's enough for everyone. Uh, there's some pens scattered around there as well. Um, and yeah, when we get to that part of the reading, what I'd like to have you uh, like you to do is have a go at a little exercise, um, and if you put a ring around or highlight anything in that section of the reading that seems like a reference to the fact that Jesus is a king, is the true king. Okay, um, but only when we, we get there. Um, so I'm going to start from chapter one. Um, very early in the morning, the chief priests and the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin had made their plans. They bound Jesus, they led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate. Um, I'm going to pause here, actually. Um, Pilate, he was the, the Roman governor in the region at the time. Uh, he was the guy that was in charge, he was the head poncho, he was ruling on behalf of the Emperor Augustus. Um, Pilate has been described by his contemporaries as being inflexible, merciless, and obstinate. Um, he was the sort of guy that oversaw countless massacres of people. He wasn't the sort of person uh, that you wanted to cross or to come face to face with. Um, he would probably show you no mercy. You can expect that from him. Um, Pilate is used in this story that Mark tells as a symbol of human power and human authority. Um, the religious leaders at the time, they couldn't condemn anyone to death, um, but Pilate could. He, he could be the one that, that passed that death sentence on a person. Um, so let's read the rest of the passage. Uh, Pilate asks, uh, are you looking at the Jews? Um, to which Jesus replies, you said so. 
The chief priests accused Jesus of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But still, Jesus made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with insurrectionists who committed murder in the uprising a few years before. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you still want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Knowing that it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred at the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one that you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. But why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. And they shouted all louder. Crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowds, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And here comes the bit that's on your piece of paper. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together a whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on and they twisted together a crown and set it on him. They began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. And again and again they struck him with a staff and spat on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they mocked him, they took off the purple robe and they put his own clothes And then they led him out to crucify him. Yeah, so that's a really tough story, um, and we're going to pause there. Um, yeah, Jesus's flogging was was brutal and it was shameful. Uh, many would have died in in that just that moment of, of being whipped with whips. They sort of tied in like rocks and bits of bone so that it would uh, cut into his flesh. Uh, the next part of the story is, is all too familiar, but it's almost too painful to tell in some ways. Um, Jesus' disciples, they've all run away, they've scattered, they're scared. Uh, the only help that Jesus gets is from uh, a man from North Africa who uh, helps Jesus carry his cross up the hill. Um, and then he's brutally executed uh, with rebel terrorists on his left and on his right. So, the big question that might be in lots of your minds, uh, that ought to be in lots of your minds, is, is how on earth can any of this be good news? Well, the, the full answer, as, as lots of us will know, will, will come a bit next week when Rick is going to talk to us about the resurrection of Jesus. Um, but the start of Mark's answer is in your hands, in the highlights and in the circles that you might have been putting on those readings. Um, Pilate and the Romans, they treat Jesus as the king that he is. Um, and 
Yeah, I was wondering what, what are some of the things that you might have noticed? Um, anyone want to stick up a hand or shout out? He was acceptable. Jenna? Yeah? Uh, oh no, not that part. Yeah. Um, no way, no. Uh, Jesus, yeah, Jesus was led into a palace. He's surrounded by a procession of soldiers whilst that's happening. 300 to 600 men. It's just like, <coughs> as if he's a king being trooped into a palace surrounded by soldiers. Uh, anything else um, people picked up on? The purple robe. Purple robe, yeah. Yeah, that's the next one. Um, purple was the colour of royalty at the time. It was the sort of thing. It was like really hard to get a hold of purple. Only really rich kings and rulers could um, could wear it. Um, so yeah, the purple robe is one. Uh, anything else? The crown. Yeah, Jesus is wearing a crown of thorns. Um, those thorns, they obviously they were intended to hurt him, but they were made up date palms, which are these really long thorns. Um, and the intention was to make them look like the Greek sort of rulers that are, you can see on the coins, these like really long pointy um, points. So that's again trying to symbolise Jesus as, as being king. Uh, and then the last one is that they fell on, on their knees in front of Jesus and uh, paid homage to him. So Mark is showing there's like a real irony in what, what Mark's doing here. Um, Jesus is the real king here. Jesus is our king. He's the king of heaven and earth. Um, and this is how he's received. This is how he's treated um, by, by people. Um, Mark's narrative all builds up to this moment. There's this clash of kingdoms. Pilate, on the one hand, represents the Roman kingdom, um, the ruling power at the time that holds uh, life and death in their hands. Uh, and then there's Jesus, the real king, bringing the kingdom of God, but he's enthroned in a shameful way on the cross, uh, just there. Um, and instead of having princes either side of him, as, as you might get um, if you were a king on your throne, uh, Jesus has two rebels either, either side of him. Um, yeah, this is Jesus' topsy-turvy victory. The, the way in which this thing is won is it's completely upside down. Um, there was another person mentioned in that story, a guy called Barabbas. Uh, Barabbas was, again, he was a rebel, an insurrectionist. Uh, and the rebel gets set free uh, whilst Jesus, the innocent Jesus, takes his place. Uh, and in that, we can certainly see something of our own story. Uh, each time we rebel, each time uh, we do things uh, that we know are selfish and wrong, um, Jesus chooses to take our place. Um, and in the words of Mark, quoting Isaiah, it says that Jesus poured out his life as a ransom for many. But it, it goes further than that, I want to say. Um, Jesus took our sins and the sins of the world just so that his kingdom of God could come in all of its fullness in the here and now. And that's where the breadth of the gospel comes in. Um, I'm going to pass it to Becky. So. so here we have it. Jesus, our king, who's shamed and ridiculed, dies... Uh, horrid death, yet is victorious 
So what do we do with that? What does that mean for us? Because through the suffering and the hatred of the cross, we have hope. Like we talked about this morning, we have hope in the midst of that. Why is that? Um, I just want to touch on something briefly here, and that is, as the passage goes on, when it comes up to verse 37, um, in Mark's retelling of Jesus' death, it says this, With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And that moment where Jesus dies, and Mark says that the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom, if we look back at the first chapter of Mark's Gospel, you'll find the word torn there as well. And it says this in verse 10, that as Jesus was coming up out of the waters of his baptism, he saw the heavens being torn open. And if you remember what I said earlier about the emphasis that Mark uses sometimes, that is, he's using this same phrasing as Jesus dies and as the heavens open. Um, and where it's first announced that Jesus is the Son of God. So that opening in chapter 1, it it echoes the words of Isaiah the prophet, um, who called for God to rend down the heavens and come. And the thing is, this is so significant, because it's about what has been fulfilled. Um, This is God answering the Israelites' prayers for redemption. But it wasn't what they expected, Um, For the Israelites, they understood that prophecy as being God's promise to rebuild the temple and the temple being a place of God's dwelling. But instead, in Jesus' death, we see a new way. The veil being torn is, is the access to the Father like never before for us. So this breadth of the gospel is that everyone gets to be invited into a new family, a family that lives in God's light rather than the rule of darkness. That moment of the temple being torn is, is the victory of the rule of heaven coming to earth. So how do you respond to that? Well, um, in a few moments we're going to move into a time of communion um, and reflect a bit more on that. That death of Jesus in light of the wider story of what he came to do. But I want to leave us with two things. The first being that in the, in the humility of the cross that Jesus died, the ridicule that was not for the purpose of um, influence over the ruling authorities as the disciple might have hoped. Um, but instead he takes on our pain and our shame. He identifies with our human experience, our brokenness that we, that we can't run away from. And he brings us into his family, into a new way where we all have a place. And the second is this, is that um, as I sort of touched on this, this coming of the kingdom of heaven, this, this rule, this new reality that is sort of brought to a point at Jesus' death and the victory over darkness, that has a bearing and a meaning for the challenges that we experience in our lives today. And the truth of that is is that Jesus' authority, his, his life, can bring life and life and restoration to those things. We have a hope 
that he can heal and restore and make new. So I just, yeah, I just want to leave us with that. Is wherever we're at this morning, the place that we're in, that we can know that the kingdom of heaven is near, that God wants to continue to break in and to bring his light into places of darkness. He wants to draw close through the Holy Spirit to bring restoration and making you. So, yeah, the thing that we're going to do to respond to that is we're going to uh, break bread and uh, drink wine together. Well, not wine, it's <coughs> juice, cranberry juice.